As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. Stay tuned to learn more about BTE's tune-up services. And it's all that we know, it's the way Give all that we got, ride at a time, do whatever we got. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome to, or welcome back, to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Chet Dragon. In Crosby, North Dakota. What's going on, <laughs> Big Jed? Oh, Luke, uh, doing well. Um, just getting settled in for the night and, um, you know, finished washing Big Red and got her all cleaned up for the weekend. Looking forward to some more racing this weekend. But before we get into any racing stuff, I want to test people and see who's listening or if people are listening. So I got a Frigidaire refrigerator at home and it's give up on me but the code says that i need to uh, replace my evaporator fan somebody send me a message and tell me where that is on that refrigerator i've done a little research but i hadn't come up with it yet and it's i'm probably making it more complicated than it is so before we talk racing luke i'd like the listeners to shoot me a little message and tell me where that evaporator fan is and where i can get it and stuff but anyway you're home from Indy. How you doing, bud? Doing good. Doing good. Shouts to uh, to whoever comes through on, on that parts call. It's an interesting yeah. one. Okay. Frigid air is not so frigid right now. <laughs> well, that creates issues. More air than frigid. 
Big Chad, we normally start the show with what everyone's talking about, and I don't want to take credit for this because I think everybody was talking about KC Pesnell before we stoked the flames a little bit last week, but I think we did stoke the flames a little bit last week. So let's start there. Gotta hear this. This week on what everyone is talking about. So, Luke. Everyone was talking about it on our last show, Casey Pesnell, and still almost everyone is talking about Casey Pesnell. And, you know, we've talked about it at length, and, and we, I think we've said what we need to say. By the way, got a lot of feedback from that, so, so thank you to the listeners that, that offered your feedback on that, whether you agreed or disagreed with, with our take, but... Yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to go with this, Chad. Like, I don't want to spend an entire episode talking about KC because we did that last week. If you want to hear that, just go back one yeah. in, on the little on the little purple uh, app. But I am interested to hear because I feel like your position on it was a little bit more polarizing than mine. I think mine was easier for the masses to agree with. I figure you got a little bit more kickback than I did, and I'm interested to hear what kind of feedback you got from the listeners. Yeah, I got a lot of feedback, and quite frankly. I think most took it as me defending him being on the racetrack, which really wasn't the intent. Certainly believe in his ability, and and I I certainly think he's plenty capable of doing it. But I I still get that you can't just allow that to go on with any 14-year-old. So it might have to be no 14-year-olds. Whatever the case may be, I did get a lot of feedback even the ones that disagreed with my stance or my position on it was very respectful. I think you you might have helped that along with uh, with your first initial discussion there about how we can have a disagreement or debate without everybody being a DA. But I do appreciate those that reached out and or a DB. <laughs> yeah, a DB. <laughs> those that reached out. Thank you very much for doing that. Whether you agreed or disagreed, it was definitely a topic that has brought some light to a, to a situation that needs some attention. And, and no matter how you feel about it, it, it might be where people that age need an opportunity or it might not. But I think the best result possible is going to come from all the discussion that was had. Now, lastly, I do want to say that you know, there there's still been a lot of blowback from it, too, for those that don't understand it, don't agree with it. I understand that completely, but don't forget that we've got a 14-year-old kid involved here that, you know, he's capable of getting to the Internet and seeing all the discussion about him and his parents. So you can disagree with what's happened and still be respectful. Those that reached out to me were very respectful, but I get when you're not one-on-one, you're just having an open discussion, how people can get a little out of hand. This young man can see and hear what's going on, so just be respectful. Disagree with it. That's fine. That's plenty fine, but don't tear the kid down and, and try to you know have him banned for life and all that silly stuff that, that we're seeing. So young man's got feelings. His parents have feelings. Just be respectful. Disagree the right way or agree the right way, but that's really all it needs to be said about it, Luke. Yeah, I mentioned in last week's show that I was really disappointed with the racing community at large, just over how steadfast and how the, the, how the argument went. Like, obviously, this is a polarizing subject, but just the idea that, okay, if we don't agree, you're a freaking complete idiot, that wears really thin on me. 
I will say to some extent, at least the feedback that I saw directed toward the show and the way that we presented our debate, uh, faith was restored to some extent. Like it was very civilized. Like, okay, you know, I can I can see both sides of this discussion. Here's my opinion, but you know, I respect both sides of the argument. So that was that was refreshing. That was nice to see. The one I got a couple of I don't say negative, but you know. Um, People kind of getting on me, like saying, hey, I, I think you're wrong because. And one of those just came from, from a buddy of mine that knows my racing history, which I, I wasn't trying to be guarded about on last week's show. And he's like, look, you should have just told them all that not only did you race and win at 14, you drove yourself to the racetrack, which is true. <laughs> I will also say that there was a lot of things that I did at 14 that I wouldn't necessarily agree with at 38 that I might not want my 14-year-old to do. So don't just go off of me. You know what I mean? Like, uh, There's plenty of arguments to go, to go around there, but good discussion all the way around. I hope to some extent that this is, uh, I don't say going away, but quieting down. It certainly seems to be, although uh, you mentioned that uh, the young man in question hoisted another trophy uh, last weekend, so good on him. But no, I mean, interesting story, polarizing story, but uh, we got lots of good stuff to cover here from a massive Labor Day weekend. And uh, if you're content with it, I think we can move on to that. Yeah, very much so. Uh, wasn't, it wasn't heavy on events, but what events were held were uh, quite large and worth talking about. So looking forward to talking about that. Yeah, obviously the, the big go, the 65th running of the NHRA U.S. Nationals is the main storyline as it is every Labor Day weekend. But as is the case every Labor Day, there was a multitude of big dollar bracket races around the country. Seemingly, every other track has a five grander or you know, a, a big event on Labor Day. And obviously, there's too many of those for us to cover. But the biggest of the big in terms of bracket racing was at Norwalk at Summit Motorsports Park. Uh, so we thought we'd touch on that briefly Jed, before we jump into Indy, although it looks as if it was kind of a weather-marred event up at Norwalk. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure everything that happened as for weather, but I knew that they had to, they got the 15K in on day one, and um, this is not a recording. Uh, Chris <laughs> Bear beat Skirt for that 15K. Those guys uh, collect checks regularly, and uh, Chris Bear had been on fire recently as well. And uh, skirt always driving good, so they got the week started or weekend started there. And Luke, they got they had rain challenges. I think they only got a round or so in, maybe two of the the next day, and that pushed into Sunday. That was the forty grander. I think they got that. Finally, got their way to about five cars left, where they had to split the purse among the remaining racers, which. By the way, the purse was huge. It was a 40 grander, and you think, well, that's good. You're 40 to win, and then you got five runner up. And yeah, now, this was not your typical 40 grander, right? No, it was 20 runner up, and you know, it just halved all the way down. It was really big. I think those guys got some really nice money for five cars remaining, and the the last race, which I believe was a 25 grander, had to I think be canceled altogether. So. Rain-plagued weekend up there at Norwalk, but uh, by all accounts, it was a full field. It looked like they sold out the 425, people looking for entries, trying to get in. So had a full field, and 
you know, I'm not sure how it worked for the racers not getting to run on Sunday, but that's a very well-run organization up there at Norwalk. So I'm certain that uh, they made made that the best they could for the, the people that, that didn't get to compete on the last day. Yeah, that was my takeaway from this entire event. I just think it's refreshing to see an event structure the way that this was structured. I mean, like you said, the 40 grander, I think it was 20 grand to runner up. It was like 10 grand a semi. It was five grand a quarter. It was awesome payback. And which is just such a complete turn of events from the races that we're accustomed to seeing that are $100,000 to win and 175 bucks to runner up. Like it's just, you know what I mean? It's gotten pretty extreme and I love that format and I love more so how well supported it was. Like to your point, this was sold out. It featured like a who's who of big dollar bracket racing. And as far as I know, it wasn't just the locals. It was all the hitters from across the country converged on this deal. I personally, as a racer, hope that that's a sign of things to come to prove that that structure, not quite so top heavy, will work especially in this day and age because there is so much demand for the big dollar races i don't think that that you know dangling the carrot of a huge winner's purse with nothing else i don't think that that's necessary in this day and age so i was happy to see that and real quick Luke, uh, okay producer mark threw some notes in here just just a little bit ago i guess we just always used to skirt winning or going to the final in that area of the country uh that was not skirt it was rob leipziger uh, getting the uh, runner-up position there to Chris Bear, so apologize for that, uh, Skirt. We just needed to mention you, no matter what. But well, Rob, well, Leipzig- hold on. we don't we don't need to apologize to Skirt. We gotta apologize to Rob Leisinger. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. <laughs> Rob did it in his dragster instead of his Corvette. So you know, I, maybe that's subconsciously I left him out because he should have been in his door car, but he probably was running it too. So either way, Chris Bear won. Yawn, always winning up there. Great job, Chris. Thirteen dead zero in the final, by the way. Nice, nice lap for Chris. I kid, because he's obviously one of the most talented guys out there. But wins plenty, and uh, Leipziger with a with a twelve and almost two above, come up a little short. So, I don't know, sorry about that, Rob. Two, this is twenty nineteen, Jed. Thirteen total might be a below average lap for Chris Bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could be. He might have slacked up just a little. All right, let's move to the big go. I was there. I know, like the rest of the world, you were keeping up with it. I broke this down, Big Jed, into five big stories from the big go. You ready for this? I can't wait, Luke. Okay, I don't know where we should start because these are all pretty good and, and entertaining in their own right. But let's, let's start where we left off last episode. Last episode, we had Rex Simmermaker on discussing the fast brackets, top dragster, top sportsman in the first time at Indy. And I don't want to overshadow top sportsman, but TD was awesome. <laughs> Just what I watched every qualifying run in top dragster. Because it was, you you just couldn't miss it. The bump. Again, for those of you not familiar with NHRA Top Drag Extra competition, you can't go faster than 610. If you go 60 anything, it don't count. If you go 5 anything, you get thrown out. 610 is fast as you can go. So the low qualifiers for Oshillery is 610-0. That's like the perfect run. The number 32 qualifier, Al Kenny, 623. That's 32 Top Drag Extra competitors qualified within 13 hundredths of a second going stupid fast pretty cool stuff and it gets more impressive because there was 32 and 13 hundredths but the top half of the field the top 16 qualifiers again number one ross the 610 number 16 
Ashley Johnson, 6.13.2. 16 cars, 32 thousandths of a second separate him, going 16s at 200 plus. It had to be cool cool for those racers, Luke. The, yes. the the fast racers racing with fast racers side by side, you know, and if I can be transparent here, you know, I'm the guy that is all about door cars and bottom bulb and all that other stuff. And really fast dragsters have never been something that I was super excited about. But watching this through Drag Race Central and social media, I was jacked up. I mean, because I realized history was truly being made here. And the people that were part of these this field was super excited. You could tell through social media that, that they were jacked about it as well. And I uh, kept seeing post after post after post. So I, I would have wanted to be on the fence or in the bleachers watching that myself. Yeah, it was a neat deal. And I think I got to give credit where credit is due here. Rex, on the show last week, I asked him what the bump would be for Top Dragster. I believe he said 622. It was 623. Oh, wow. That's pretty close. Yeah, only 36. Um, 36 showed up. So, you know, that, and they knew it was a 32 car. So, I mean, there was obviously a lot of people that know I can go 630 or 640 that didn't show up because they, they understood why what was happened. Yeah. So that was, that's to think that the 630 cars stayed home, not thinking they had an opportunity to get in is crazy. And I'll give Rex a little more credit. He missed slightly on the top sportsman bump. He wouldn't give us a number. He said that the bump in top sportsman would be faster than the bump in pro stock. He missed that, but not by much. Pro stock bump was 664. I believe the top sportsman bump, 673. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah, pretty (laughs) cool stuff. And then as it went into eliminations, as silly as this is to say, I think the story from Top Dragster wasn't even necessarily about the runs or the winner. It was the guy that didn't win because Peter Biondo, you know, he has won that race seven times, seven times at the big go. Yeah. Never in top dragster. He'd never won. Obviously had never won at the big go in top dragster because this was the first one. He'd never won a national event in top dragster. And he just rolled in there on a complete mission. I didn't catch all of his time runs. The two that I heard, he was double O. And for the first four rounds of eliminations, he was double O, but in the final, he was a, a very human, like 14 takes six. That was the one round he needed to be double O. <laughs> Didn't work out for him. Rusty Baxter ended up getting the win in top dragster. And not to, to belittle Baxter and his accomplishments, but obviously that's an upset, right? Because Peter Biondo is probably the best sportsman racer of all time. And he had just been waylaying it all day. But it's funny how that can work. You know, Reinhardt always says it's a it's a right place, right time kind of sport. In the first four rounds, Peter had two red lights, a single, and one opponent that went like five above. He didn't need any of those double O's. He just needed one in the final where 14 takes six wasn't good enough. Ah, yeah. Brutal break for, for Pete. And obviously, we'll talk about another thing he was involved in here in just a little bit. But just a roller coaster of emotion weekend for him, I'm sure. But yeah, there was a lot going on at Indy. Okay, so so the number one was top direction. Top direction was fun. Number two, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch the order up just a little bit from our notes here. Did you see WJ hit the wall? Yeah, and <laughs> that pains that pains me <laughs> the way he's being <laughs> talked about, and I'm laughing while I'm saying it, but it was just so weird to see that. It's completely bizarre. Yeah, it was 
crazy and, you know, just let it get away from him. It's like he was trying to win those Mickey Thompson tires at the Southern Door Car. I mean, at the <laughs> Jake Summer Door like. Car shootout. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've seen Wilder burnouts, but, but that was trying to win some Mickeys. And, I mean, just to frame this, if you missed it, I don't know how you missed it, but WJ and Greg Anderson are supposed to run off. It's the back-to-school match race, and they're in matching late-model street Camaros, right? Yep, that is correct. And I don't even really know why, but thankfully, they were not side-by-side on this run. It was just WJ making a single, right? I believe so, yeah. And I think he was staged, like the tree came down, but it, as soon as he kicked it, it just blows the tires off, and he blew the tires off for 100 feet. And then spun out and hit – he was in the right lane. He hit the left side guardrail with the right quarter panel. And I w- the best thing about the whole deal – I don't know what video you saw, but was to – Brian Loans is on the mic. And to me, the, the funniest part of the whole bizarre situation is Loans trying to keep it all in because he's just like – and WJ's in the fence. And he's <laughs> – you can tell he's trying not to – to laugh at a living legend and he's just as flabbergasted by it all as we all are and he's surprised and he finds some humor in it but you can't make fun of wj because he's wj just listening to loans try to compartmentalize all that in real time by far the best moment of the whole thing like just so bizarre I don't have any idea what you would say in that situation. Oh, can you imagine? Put yourself in those shoes, Jed. You're on the mic. One of the most iconic racers of all time has just made a complete buffoon of himself in front of several thousand people in a showcase where, like, can you imagine the guy at GM that okayed this? What's the look on his face? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Talk about all-time backfires. It crunched the car up good, too. You know, like just hit it in those spots that you don't just fix it. You know, you guys, this is fairly extensive damage. So that's even worse. I don't know. I'll what go out on a limb thought. and say that that will be the last back to school match race. <laughs> yeah, could be. So that's story number two from Indy story. Number three, where do I go here? Okay. This was bizarre. Yeah. I live four hours from, Lucas Oil Raceway, so I'm not one to uh, to get into the. I'm not going to get in the line sat Sunday morning after Bowling Green, right? I come home for a few days. I drive over Tuesday night. I got there about one o'clock in the morning in a holding lot, which is par for the course. It's basically my plan every year. They're going to start racing at eight the next day, so they'll get me in, get me parked, and I'll unload. And I think Super Comp's the third class or so. I got plenty of time, Jed. I didn't roll through the gate. I mean, I was in inside the facility, so I'm in the holding lot. I didn't roll into the pits until 1 o'clock Wednesday afternoon, yeah. and nobody did. Nobody went down the racetrack. There's 900 race cars entered at the U.S. Nationals. No one got down the track until 2 o'clock on Wednesday because they couldn't get us parked. Now, Yeah, I was seeing a lot of that. <laughs> in NHRA's defense, I guess, there was some weather earlier in the week. It made things a little bit of a mess getting in, but it felt to me like some of the big dollar bracket races that I've been to where, okay, like we have a pre-entered event. In this case, it's 900 race cars. We took their money to begin with. Yeah. You knew what was coming. Yes. 
And you get there and you're like, holy, there's 900 cars. What do we do now? <laughs> and I've come to expect that at, at some of these big dollar bracket races, especially like the first time promoters, there's some overwhelm there. But this is NHRA. Like they've done this before. And it just, I don't, I, again, I, I'm sure that there is a reason for everything that they do and that there's some thought process that goes into it. But seemingly the answer is like they, they didn't start parking anyone until Tuesday morning. You get 900 cars to park in 14 hours. I don't think that's realistic. So, I mean, you got what, 10 like staffers, they probably make minimum wage. Can't you pay them to be there on Monday? Everybody was there Sunday from Bowling Green. Just let them park. It doesn't seem that complicated. And it just, it was odd, man, because I normally brag on NHRA and the way that they run things and how it's organized and you know exactly what you're getting into. This just felt like a mess from square one. It got a little bit better, but it was odd knowing that there's 900 plus cars. It is a beautiful day. And nobody has done a racetrack till after two o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, we all lost our Supercom Supergas lost a time trial, so it was it was bizarre. Yeah, I guess what's most disappointing there is somebody of authority, somebody that is paid to make good decisions, decided no, just leave them, leave them out there. We'll figure it out later, or we'll we'll get it all done, or whatever. And somebody else. Of authority didn't go no no we need to change our plan here because you came in a little late obviously how many came in late out of that 900 100 maybe so had, right yeah so you had 800 sitting there and they were stacking up luke i started seeing posts i think the friday prior i think it was you know you talk about leaving bowling green coming in sunday and parking on monday but I know there were people stacking up there earlier in the weekend, so you'd think they'd have a, a plan to get that done. That, that is that was disappointing that people lost runs over that, and obviously it had an effect on the event as a result, which is never should happen. Parking yeah, no, have an effect on the started us off behind, and then we hit weather later in the weekend and ended up, yeah, it was quite the, the marathon. And again, I'm always hesitant to just pile on to NHRA because it's like you're a college football fan, Jed. It's like piling on to the NCAA. Like, it's just too easy a target. You know what I mean? Like, I almost find myself sure. defending them, but this one, yeah, this was, it seemed odd and bizarre and difficult to, to defend. Right, back on the racetrack, the stock eliminator eliminations in general were awesome particularly the last two rounds and especially the final round big jed i'm not and, and most of our listeners can probably identify with this heads up races and stock eliminator don't do a whole lot for me but at indy when you gotta be like super fast to qualify so everybody there's fast and then when you've got the prestige of winning the u.s nationals hanging in the balance and the drama that goes along with that, and the drama that's kind of in, in included in any heads-up event, because in Stock Limited, for those of you that don't know, it's it's a pick-your-own-dial and it's a handicap race until you run another car that is in your class, which is all horsepower to weight. In this instance, it was H-Stock Automatic. If you're driving an H-Stock Automatic car and you pair with another H-Stock Automatic car, it's the first one of the finish line wins. See who's got the most muscle. And that's exactly how it shook down for Austin Williams, not only in the final round, 
but also in the semifinal round. So after winning five rounds of a quote-unquote bracket race, Austin heads up in the semis, heads up in the final. You know, you got a little bit of insight here. I watched the video. I got a decent idea what's going on, but walk me through that because it looked pretty awesome. Yeah, I texted a little bit with Austin today just to to say great job and and really cool to see him add that to a very impressive uh, resume already. But he told me that you know they really felt like the the other car was a little faster than what it ended up showing in the final. Uh, I think the car had him a tenth or so in qualifying. You get that at Indy. You get guys that that come out and just give it everything they got just to get in the show. That particular car didn't need to do that, but apparently it was hopped up pretty good the whole time. But nonetheless, Austin and and the guys felt like he was a little faster than what he showed, and they they pulled out all the stops, which you would do in a heads-up final at any race for the most part. But Indy, they were running the risk of blowing it up. They were not concerned with blowing her up. In other words, there was not much oil in the pan. <laughs> exactly. And what was in it was thin as water. So they had it jacked up pretty good. They came to the water box with the engine temperature at 42 degrees. Now, we all know you can run the fan and water pump. If the temperature outside is 70, you can run the fan and water pump as much as you want. You're not going to get it to 42 degrees. So obviously that takes some special attention and special equipment. They chilled her down pretty good. Your ice and intakes, your can you imagine the water rolling into the water box and looking down at the digital water temperature gauge and it says 42. <laughs> Will it even read that low? I guess they might have, might have had to shoot it with a temperature gun. I didn't ask that. I don't know if the digital gauge would even tell you. You know, at 42 degrees, who would need to know that? But anyway. <laughs> Good question. So they had it. They were leaving it three grand all day. Uh, they decided, all right, we got, we got her cold. We got her no oil. We're doing everything we can do. We've got to chip this thing up. So they chipped it 3,400 or Austin made a decision to chip it 3,400. And obviously, I think most people will know the relationship there with Bo Butner and he's part of the crew and I mean Austin's part of Bo's crew and you know Randy Landship everybody on that team that was part of that final round well Bo as I think most people that listen to this show know he's he's a sportsman racer I mean this guy just won super gas in his only trial year and I think he did well in his next outing so He's got a sportsman background. He comes to comes to Austin kind of late and says, "You know, I think that thirty four might be a little much. Why don't you kick it back down to thirty two? And what a great piece of advice that turned out to be. Because obviously, Austin goes perfect in the heads up stock final. And had he had the two hundred more RPMs, it's probably Luke. I don't know. You'd know better than me. Five or six thou per hundred. Yeah, I mean, my general rule is three to four. Either way, if it's if it's half a thou, it's red. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So he's you know he's probably ten red or so, eight to ten red, if he leaves it thirty four hundred and leaves in that spot. But the advice to chip it down a couple of hundred turns out, and then you know he outruns the guy too. So, which was Matt Antrobius, by the way. I, I didn't mean to not give Matt credit. Very talented racer in his own right. Uh, with a fast H-stock automatic car. And 
I don't know how many saw it this listening, but Randy Lynn did. Uh, she was part of a little video where they were leading up to the final and going to the water box and all those things. And after the race, she said she felt like she saw Antrobius move like his car crept a little bit in the stage beams, which caused him probably to sit on it pretty good and be a little late and not run as fast as his car was capable of running. But again, if you've ever driven a stock eliminator car, you know, there's a, there's usually a button on the, on the uh, brake pedal. You go in, you're trying to get brake pressure, hit that button too. And if it don't go just right, it's very easy to let your car move a little, especially if you donkey stomp it when you chip it up that I kind of just, you know, you know, I didn't mean to make the noise, but so you, if you okay, donkey so, stomp it. So that's rolling into it. What's the donkey stomp sound like, sound like? Yeah, just, just you know, no yeah. no delay whatsoever, just all over it. So if you donkey stomp it in a stock eliminator car, you're running the risk of it creeping on you a little. And that might have been what happened to Matt. But nonetheless, drama field, stock final, which I think we just, what we had, uh, had it last year, didn't we? Didn't we have a heads-up final in stock last year? I know. I was trying to think back. I know the year that Brad Plored won stock. It was a heads-up final, and it was really close. And they didn't know that they had the advantage. I don't. There may have been more since then. I think that happened last year, Luke. I think you may be right. I think we talked about this. I think it was a, a gentleman in a in an old Plymouth that got it done. But nonetheless, uh, you know, it doesn't get any more drama filled than that. It's a it's a heads-up final against cars that you know can run what you can run or faster. Was it Larry Gilly? Larry Gilly went a heads-up final at Indy It was well done. That's right. Thanks. Yeah. Really cool. It's right out of the archives. No, to your point, the by all accounts, the consensus was that Matt Antrobius had the faster of the two cars going in the final. Obviously, Austin's crew. And keep in mind, that's not a car that Austin typically races. The the car that he normally competes in, they feared wouldn't qualify at Indy. It's actually a, the car belongs to the same owner, uh, Butch Marlowe, that owns Austin's the duster that Austin typically comp- competes in. They took the Camaro, feeling like it could qualify. So Austin didn't really know how fast it could go. Never pushed it, but the general consensus was Antrobius had the power advantage going into the final. And then you've got so you've got that scene like everything's on kill. This is as fast as we can make it go. I don't know exactly what we can go. I don't think it's as fast as that dude can go. So we got to push the tree. And then you're crossing every T and dotting every I. And just that video that you talked about, Jed, it's such a surreal scene because they're pushing up up under the bridge at Indy. So you've got the big Luxor Raceway. You've got the GM Performance Parts U.S. National sign onto a dark racetrack with nobody in the stands because it's damn near midnight. You know what I mean? This thing has gone on. The pros have been done for eight hours. And you could hear a pin drop in the facility. And there's probably eight guys pushing Austin up there, and there's eight guys pushing Antrobius up there, and they every the seas kind of part, and they fire them up and drive into the water, and it's just cool, right? And yeah. Austin got to be thinking like, I gotta be good on the tree right here. And to your point, you know, we're chipping it up, having been in in not that situation, obviously in the final round at Indy, but when you hop those stockers up, you pick up a bunch of react inherently. I mean, it's it's significant. And then you're chipping it up on top of that, so you're guessing, you know what I mean? Like, it's really hard to go up there and make yourself hit the tree. And Austin comes up 
snake eyes, just perfect. And in the end, didn't need any of it. I don't know exactly what happened to Mantrobius, like Ant- Matt Antrobius, Mantrobius. <laughs> but the, the speculation was, like you said, that the car creep, hence he sets fat on it, makes sure he's green. Hence he lost some ET because he's deep. Who knows exactly what happened? That car didn't run as fast as everyone anticipated, and obviously he's late on the tree. And yet, almost still works out if austin pushes it a thousandth of a second quicker like it's there's so many moving parts and something like that and to see it happen on that stage with the drama and the emotion and all of the people involved like it's i'm just telling you i watched that video like three times this morning i just couldn't get enough of it i thought it was the coolest thing in the world yeah i did too it was really cool great scene and great for austin congratulations a-dub all right so that's four we talked top dragster we talked WJ, bless his heart. We talked about the seeming uh, lack of forethought and organization in parking. We talked about the heads up stock eliminator final. I guess it's the elephant in the room. I, I don't I don't do as good a job at keeping up with social media. Did this blow up the way that I thought it would blow up, Jed? Yes, yes, okay. it was it was nuts. I'll preface this just a little bit. In the last qualifying session of Top Dragster. Al Kenny went from the bump, maybe one outside the field. He put 6-10-2 on the scoreboard, which we said earlier, you can't go faster than 6-10-0. So that slotted him in, like, I think at the time on the pole. And then Ross Larice came out a couple pairs later, went 6-10-0. And I thought, man, that's impressive. I didn't even know Al could go that fast. Well, as it turns out, Al cannot go that fast. There was a timing system issue, what we would typically refer to as a, as a lazy infrared. Actually, I think we normally say lazy photocell, but I, I don't think we've used photocells for like three decades. So lazy infrared on the starting line, meaning that Al had a really slow reaction time, a really fast 60 foot, like over a tenth, and made his you know low 620 run into a 610, and they ended up disqualifying that run al went from what would have been number two qualifier to he was on the bump at 623 so i say that just to say that there was precedent that there was an issue of some sort now obviously that was addressed and supposedly fixed but it was just hours later i believe it was round three of super gas there was actually a couple of runs that were in question but the obvious one was uh john labouche jr up against Denny Napier. And as the race plays out, I'm actually doing something in my trailer and I hear Reinhardt's announcing, whoa, that's uncharacteristic because uh, Labouche was really late, 60 something on the tree, and then goes 984. And Denny made a really good run. I think he was 009 and 92. I thought, oh, well, that's strange. Like little John doesn't miss it very often. Whatever. Really weird that he'd go 84 after missing it, but whatever. And uh, go on about my business. And then I hear there's going to be a rerun. Whoa, what? Because that's just not common. I, I, I want to say it's unheard of, but it's that's probably not accurate in national event competition. It is definitely not common. But essentially what had happened is the data was looked at and Labouche was 600 slow on the tree, 600 fast to 60 foot, and then obviously fast down track. And uh, the decision was made to rerun. And I'll, I'll just say this, Jed, and, and that wasn't the only one. Once that was brought to light, there was another pair in that round, which I believe was Allison Prose and Timothy McLean that was also rerun. And, and then the rerun didn't happen until the next day, uh, which just kind of added to the, the bizarre nature of the whole thing. But I'll break it down like this, Jed, knowing what we know. I think whether or not that's the right decision is completely subjective because if you're Denny Napier, you're mad as hell that you have to rerun, 
right? It's completely not sure. fair, right? Sure. If you're John LaBruce Jr., you're mad as hell if they don't rerun because you know you weren't 60 and you know your car didn't pick up 660 foot. Although I will say that that situation is a little bit more obvious in a typical bracket format than it would be a national event competition, specifically in the super classes, just because there's a lot of variables that go on before 60 foot. Like the throttle stop has to close. Most cars shift. Like good, quote unquote, good super comp, super gas cars don't move 600 to 60 foot. But it's not like completely unheard of where it would be if you're Nova Big Jet, what are you 60 foot? Like 128, 125? Yeah, right in there. Okay. That thing's never been 119 in its life. So if you had a 119 60 foot, it would be obvious that something's wrong. Sure. In a in a throttle stop application, like there's a number of mechanical things that could cause that. So that would be the Denny Napier side. Like, hey man, it's a freaking 990 race. Like, there's a lot of variables there. On the John LaBoost side, it would be like, okay, well, maybe I was 60. But I will say this, if John LaBoost is 60 and has any inclination that he's 60, he's not going 984. So I don't know, you know, like you could argue either end of that, completely subjective. To me, that's not the story. To me, the story is the decision to rerun. Because, again, you could argue uh, either way, like that's the right call, that's the wrong call. I think it's interesting on two fronts. Number one, it's really rare. Again, I want to say unprecedented, but that's probably not accurate. It's very rare for NHRA to admit fault right and say okay we might have messed that one up let's let, let's run that back and try it again and i think the reason that this shocked me more than anything is that in doing that in deciding okay to let's rerun here and and again you could make the argument that that's the right thing to do i'm not saying i'm not i'm not really even weighing in one way or the other there it's completely subjective but in doing that what they did was compromise the integrity of the timing system basically for the entire event. Because my argument, Jed, would be this. Like, okay, if you admit there was something wrong in this particular round where it's pretty obvious, again, if you take that stance, okay, that's at 600s. You know what I mean? 600 slow and react, 600 fast and 60. We probably have a problem. If it did, in fact, affect that car in that lane, 600s of a second, that's obvious, but that same malfunction could have easily affected the next pair one hundredth of a second, fifteen thousandths of a second. You would never prove that. You couldn't even justifiably go to the tower with that time slip and say, hey, that's not right. Because we all know, like, we could move a hundredth, we could move two hundredths, sure. 60 foot or ET. But if it affected one pair of six hundredths of a second, it could affect the next pair less but enough to affect the outcome of the race. And I just, I was, I think that's what shocked me about the decision more than anything is that in my opinion, they opened Pandora's box and said, hey, these two right here were not right, but that's the only time it happened all weekend. Like, whoa, you know what I mean? If you're going to admit that you got a problem and I don't, again, I don't know what the right answer is. There were people saying you should rerun the whole round. I don't know that you could do that. Like, but when you make that decision, we're going to rerun any pair for a timing system issue, like everybody at the racetrack that ran the right lane thing and lost thinks, ah, I got screwed. Whether no, they did or didn't. Because you, and that's, I think, what, sh- what shocked me was their willingness to 
admit blame, which on one hand, you know, you can say that's that's a good thing. On the other hand, it's man, it just brings everything into question for the weekend. Yeah, no doubt about it. But maybe even a bigger story than them actually doing reruns is what they didn't rerun, Luke, which was obviously in Top Dragster. Uh, I know you, you've had to have seen that, I guess. Did you see the, the run in question? where JB's run? Afton Swanson. Oh, uh, yeah, that was a... And, and Peter. I did not see all the details here, so bring me up to speed. So I watched it in real time, but I, I yeah. didn't know exactly what happened. So as we discussed, the, the cars are really close in dial-ins and everything in, in the top dragster field. So tree comes on, top bulb comes on, and Peter's tree continues to fall. Afton's tree goes red after the first bulb. So those of us who've been in sport a long time, you think old school. You know, the car rocked when you decked it or whatever happened. It, it may have moved up just a smidgen and affected, but... Both the pre-stage and stage bulb goes out at the same time, and the tree falls red after the first bulb comes on, which, you're watching it, the car never moved. Absolutely never moved. There's video that her, her crew takes slow motion video of the car on every run. They go to the tower to, as her video said, to plead their case and... They tell them that they've got slow motion video, and they say, well, we, we won't go by that. We go by our, our uh, television. We go by our system that, you know, that people can watch the runs on or, or whatever the live stream is. We go by that. So, And then they tell her that, well, the video doesn't appear that the car moved. It shows that it doesn't appear the car moved, but we stand by our timing system and that red lighted you, and the run is final. Like, what? She even talked about in her video today. There there was precedent set, just like you said. There were reruns already. <laughs> That's the problem, right? And they, they tell her, no rerun. It's not happening. And to be completely honest, that response is 100% what I would expect going to the tower. If... The day before, they hadn't set that precedent. Now, I will say this to clarify, Jed, and I am by no means a timing system expert, and I'll be completely honest. I don't completely understand what stage lock is and how it works, but I will say this. It is my understanding that with stage lock in effect, if, in fact, your car um, rocked out of the beams enough to knock out the stage bulb with stage lock in effect both bulbs do go out so it's not like you would think just uh rationally speaking like to knock both bulbs out your car has to move seven inches right that's again to my understanding not the case if you're super shallow car acts backward a fraction of an inch for whatever reason the tree actually knocks both of those stage bulbs out so that could potentially be an explanation there now again if everything's on video the car didn't move but again, we're talking fractions of an inch. Like I could make that argument. I'm not saying that it's right or yeah. wrong. But that, to me, like I, I talked about opening Pandora's box, and this is a prime example because. And don't get me wrong, I don't. And it was Mike Rice makes these calls. He was the race director, Mike Rice Division Seven director. I don't envy his position one bit. Right, you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to make the best decision. And again, it's all subjective. But put yourself in those shoes. 
then this is completely human, but it doesn't make it right. John LaBouche comes to me and says, hey, I wasn't late and my car doesn't move like this. You know what my tendency is? It's to believe him because he's freaking good, right? And we know that. But, and, and I don't even mean to single out Afton Swanson here. She's a national event winner, very talented racer. But just like Joe Average, Joe Blow, Super Gas Racer comes to me with that time slip, and I blow it off completely because I'm like, dude, you missed a tree and your car picked up. Right? That's human nature. But that's not right. Like, that's the, that's the problem with this is it feels yeah. like you're playing favorites. It feels like you're catering to reputation. Not to say that that's the case, but that's the problem with setting that precedent. And that's the reason that as messed up as things could have been and may have been, I think it's the wrong call. Like, I think you just I think you either dig in your heels and say the timing system says that and I can't question it or like you got to start the whole damn race over. You know, I mean, like I. I Picking and choosing is just going to open yourself up to this type of criticism. Yeah, and it has definitely done that. You know, I guess just the the biggest issue I had with it is how do you tell the racer we're not going to rerun you after we've I think Afton said they had rerun four pair for various reasons and various classes. But how do you tell that racer that ah, it doesn't look like it, it moved? You were right about that and. We don't want to see your slow-mo video of the car because uh, it's not relevant to us. And we stand by our timing system that we ourselves have questioned several times throughout the weekend. Just very difficult to take for her. She was running Peter. She said they talked in the shutdown. She said, look, my car didn't move. I don't know what happened. Obviously, it was a glitch. And they're going to probably have to rerun us she said peter said you know cool so let me know if that's what they say and we'll we'll go back up there and do it again so you know everybody was on board but the people that needed to be on board uh, to make that decision they they said no so tough blow to take for afton no doubt and and i guess the takeaway here is you just assume you're at the u.s nationals it's the biggest drag race on the planet you just assume that this stuff shouldn't be an issue, but it just goes to show that nothing, no facility, no no one is completely removed from this possibility. Bob Brockermeyer was there. Like he's the one messing with the beams, you know, after the issue. Like there's no one more qualified, right? And it's the best equipment at the best facility in the country. And you still occasionally have issues like this. It makes me feel better as a promoter. Jen, I know you, like same way. You've been in these situations. Well, sure. It hits everything everywhere, and there's really tough calls to make. And again, to to emphasize the point, I don't I don't envy my crisis position at all. But it, and it's easy for me to say, and I wouldn't be saying this if I was John LaBouche Jr. I, I just think it was the wrong call. And because when you make that decision, how do you then tell Afton Swanson that she can't have a rerun? Like that's a really really tough spot that you put yourself in. So no doubt. We'll digress. To, Mark, do we have words from our sponsors? Do we have sponsors? I feel like we should break this thing up a little bit and then I'm going to completely nerd out. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. 
Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. It's time to get nerdy with Cool Hand Luke Bagaki as he digs into the details of the NHRA Lucas Oil Sportsman Series National Championship Points Chase. All right, it turns out we did have a sponsor. That's awesome. Thank you, BT. Big Jed, this is, I do this every year. This might be the portion of the single episode that I enjoy the most, which is funny because I think the vast majority of our listeners could care less. But there's, I said last year, I think there was eight of you. We might have picked up one or two more. I'll say there's 11 of you out there that give a damn about this. And boys, it's about to get fun. We're going to break it down. Points, NHRA points in all of the sportsman categories. Last week when I had Rex on the show, we went through top dragster. We went through top sportsman. So we won't revisit that. If you're interested in those two classes, backtrack one week. Listen to the end of last week's episode. Uh, I'm going to hit... Super stock, Big Jed. I'm going to hit stock, super comp, super gas. We're going to break down the favorite in each category, the contenders in each category, and the sleepers, the long shots. Try not to miss anything, and I'll probably won't mention any of the four people that end up winning the world championship because that's just the way that this goes. But it's fun. Okay? Roll with oh, me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm in. All right. Before I even do that, let's start with competition eliminator. We don't spend much time on comp. We started the year – we made mention of – Craig Bourgeois a couple of times because he started off this season on fire. I think he won the first three events that he went to. Craig Bourgeois is not going to win the competition limited world championship. Not going to happen. I, the favorite. Seems certain of that. Luke. This is the one category where I can name off the favorite and I can just say like, <laughs> it's over. It's my favorite part. It's over. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. Frank Aragona debuted a new whip put the same combination that he'd been that he'd won last year's world championship with in his dragster into a new center steer altered and he told us about this over the winter when we had him on the podcast for winning last year's competition limited world championship he said hey this is a little bit under wraps it's going to be mid-season before we debut this but i'm really excited about this altered rolled the altered out obviously got a fresh index with it and I think he's lost one round in competition since the altered came out. And that that has spanned five or six events. It's been completely unstoppable. Was completely unstoppable at Indy and has catapulted into a massive lead. I don't think it's mathematically over, but I'm telling you, it's over. Frank Aragon is going to be your world champion once again in competition eliminator. If I had to select contenders, I think Bourgeois still has a mathematical shot. Our buddy Brad Plord would be a contender, Tony Mandela, Sean Vincent. And if you had to pick a sleeper, a long shot, it would be Lee Zane, but it's a really long shot. Like any one of those guys would basically have to win out and get help from Frank. I don't see that happening. Frank Aragon is going to win the world championship competition eliminator. And we'll move on to another category. It's the year of the buggy, Luke. Good it's point. The year of the buggy. And he, he brought the buggy out and <sighs> rolled out the buggy. Yeah. It's a, it great move, a Frank. Buggy. Yes, it's a bad buggy, too. Have you looked at that thing? I have. It's really cool. Very cool. It's missing half the engine, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
I think PJ actually did his drops here. Let's let's bring this in now. PJ, give me a super stock. It's the NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Super Stock Eliminator. I mean, look, they, they gotta be favored to win it all. It's the NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series points, Chase. Favorites to win. I had super stock, Big Jed. The leader as of right now, but I don't think he's the favorite. And this is funny because Superstop may be the one class. I'm not sure I can pick a favorite. There's a bunch of guys that are that have separated themselves from the field. But the leader right now, Joe Santangelo, he's got one event left to claim on each side. So one national event, one divisional event. He's improving a third-round loss divisionally. So there is some opportunity there. And actually, we should know this weekend. I would assume Joe Santangelo is heading to the NHRA Division One event in Epping, New Hampshire. But basically, improving a third-round loss in the position that he's in, he's got 614 points. Traditionally, you got to have 650 to win the championship. Not always, but usually if you get 650, you should win. So in order to do that, Joe Santangelo would have to make the final this weekend at Epping. Um, he does have one national event left, but he's improving a runner-up. So yeah, that's three national events where he's, I think he's won two, runner-up one. Not much room to improve there. But again, I think... To have a legitimate shot at the championship, Santangelo needs to improve this weekend and probably to feel good about it would have to go all the way to the final. Let's go now to the contenders. It's the national championship point series top contenders. Big Jed, the contenders and Superstock, and I almost made this one the favorite. If there is a favorite, I think it would be Kyle Rizzoli, but when I looked at his points ledger, I think he's in about the same boat with Santangelo, with Ricky Decker, with potentially Stephen Camella. Because Rizzoli currently has, let's see if I can pull this up, it's like 570 points, so he's four rounds behind Santangelo. He's got races left on both sides, but similar to Santangelo, he's improving a semifinal finish nationally. So odds of him making a big jump on the national side are not good. But he's pretty weak divisionally. He's got three races left to improve on second and third round losses. And I think he's already locked into claiming one third rounder, which is not optimal. Lots of room to improve there, but he's got to get it done on the divisional side. And overall, because his national events are so strong, capped with the two wins on the Western Swing, like his ceiling for points isn't super high. Again, I think he's capable of reaching 650. I don't know that he exceeds that by much. And then Ricky Decker, who to this point has only been to two national events, which puts him at, I believe he is at, let me pull up the actual standings now that they have been updated today. Ricky Decker's sitting at 508 points right now. He gets full show-up points at his next national event, which is probably going to be later this week at Norwalk. I would assume that he's entered in there. The sportsman portion of that will run off midweek. So just by staging at Norwalk, Ricky Decker's got 538. Again, that's still 75 points away from Joseph Santangelo. So if Ricky Decker were to win Norwalk, he and Santangelo would be on equal footing. Now, Decker's got more races left. Still got three, well, four 
national events. One counts full, the other's improving, and he's improving a third-round loss at Indy once he gets to that point. He's down to just one points meet remaining at which he can improve, and there, I think he's improving a first-rounder, second-round loss, and he's already locked into claiming a second-round loss divisionally, which, again, not optimal. You put those three and stack them up, shake them up, Again, I just don't think you can pick a favorite. It's probably one of those three um, that ends up winning it, but I don't know that one necessarily has the edge over the next. The wild card here, so to speak, is Stephen Camella, Division One racer. He's sitting at 529 points. He can improve a first-round loss on both sides, both the national and the divisional side of his ledger, and he's still got three of each event remaining. So he probably has the highest ceiling of anyone, but again, he's got to go out and get it done. And he's sitting right now some 85 points behind the leader. So a lot of meat left on the bone there. Big Jed, before we transition into Stock Eliminator, let's talk quickly about the sleepers. The sleepers are my favorite. But you've been sleeping on me. Don't sleep, don't sleep on me. Don't sleep on me. Don't sleep. It's your NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series National Points Chase Sleeper Picks. Superstock sleepers. These would be guys that are way down the point sheet but have a ton of races left. And if they got hot, could make a run at it. I've got three for you in Superstock. Vic Penrod, Irvin Johns, Jason DeForest. DeForest, actually what I would claim is called the ultimate sleeper. He's only been to three nationals, three divisionals. He's about, I think he's got two finals and a semi. And one of the three divisionals that he's been to, he broke prior to first round, had to claim a 10. So just when he shows up at his next, what would be three divisional events, he's going to improve by 80 points alone. If he sprinkles in a couple more final rounds in there, Jason DeForest could make a run at this. Now you get into logistics because He's got to make five more divisional events. I think there's only like 10 or 11 on the national schedule. I don't even know if that's realistic, but again, those are your sleepers in Superstock. Penrod, Johns, DeForest. It's the NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Stock Eliminator. I mean, look, they, they got to be favored to win it all. It's the NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series points chase favorites to win. At the leader and the favorite in Stock Eliminator this might sound familiar joe santangelo yeah the same guy leading stock and super stock and what's funny about this jed is joe santangelo has 614 points currently in super stock he's got 590 currently in stock i didn't say he was the favorite in super stock i think he's the favorite in stock despite having 24 less points i'm really nerd out on you here you ready for it i can't wait okay i know you love this stuff. <laughs> i, really I know do. you love it i really do I, so Joe Santangelo, similar to where he stands in Superstock, has one national event, one divisional event left to claim points at. I assume, again, the divisional will be this weekend at Epping. In fact, I'm almost 99% certain that will be the case in Stock Eliminator because Joe Santangelo is still in the divisional event, the Division One race from Lebanon Valley that will be concluded this week, weekend at Epping. Joe Santangelo's already won fourth round of that event. Now, on his ledger, it has him listed as a fifth-round loser, 72 points. But obviously, he has the opportunity to improve on that score. Okay, and there's another 33 points there to be had should he win the event. So in addition to improving at the one divisional and the one national, there's a ceiling there. Now, what's interesting about this 
is when we get into the contenders, which we will in just a minute, because there is another racer very much in the title chase that is still in that same event at Lebanon Valley that will be contested at Epping this weekend. And the two could meet up, which very well could decide the world championship here in when, when you look back in November, this one weekend in Epping, New Hampshire, of all places, one round could very well be looked back on as the round that decided the world championship. But back to Santangelo for right now, his one divisional event at Epping, he'll be improving a third round loss. The exact same scenario when he goes to his last national event, which I would assume would be at Maple Grove, again, improving a third round loss. So a much higher ceiling there for Santangelo in stock eliminator over Superstock, which again allows me to put him as the slight favorite to win this year's Stock Eliminator World Championship, which would be the second in his career. Got a lot of opportunity in front of him at Epping for both classes. That's uh, It's going to be a big weekend for him in Epping, New Hampshire, yeah. no doubt. And I don't think, I don't know Joe that well, but I don't think that there is a single facility that he would rather have that opportunity at. It is my understanding that New England Dragway is where Joe Santangelo cut his teeth behind the wheel. Probably no place that he feels more comfortable. It's the National Championship Point Series Top Contenders. The contenders in Stock Eliminator, Big Jed. Uh, this guy wasn't going to be on the radar as of two months ago. But Slate Cummings did something pretty impressive at his last two divisional events. They won both of them. Winner at Belrose, winner at Tulsa, and suddenly he's right in the mix, uh, just a few rounds behind Santangelo. He's got three nationals remaining to improve second-round losses and one national at which he can improve a third round. So in essence, his divisional score off the charts, his national score struggling, which at this point in the season is almost a good thing because you've got junk to throw out and a lot of ground potentially to make up. So Slate could be a factor in this. Now, I mentioned earlier how big this weekend at Epping just looks like a, a little old Division One points race, how big this could play out because Allison Dahl is all, just like Joe Santangelo is still in the Lebanon Valley points race that will be concluded at Epping. There are seven stock eliminator cars remaining. Allie has the buy run in the round of seven. If Joe Santangelo wins at the round of seven, Allie and Joe will meet in the semifinals with potentially a lot on the line. At this point, Allison Dahl has been to the minimum number of races three national events, five divisional events. The way that NHRA points work, you get to claim your best three out of six national events. You get to claim your best five out of eight divisional events. So she's got her base score, 494 points right now. She's got an opportunity to improve at three more nationals, three more divisionals, plus just like Joe Santangelo, she gets the chance to add to that 72 points that they currently have her slated for at Lebanon. In fact, she's guaranteed 83 as long as she can stage up on her buy run. If, if you're interested in investing in Blue Sky, Allison Dahl has a lot of Blue Sky. She's improving two first-round losses at national events and a second-round loss at divisional events. Now, she's got to go win the rounds, but the ceiling is immensely high for Allie, and she could obviously help her own cause significantly if she could keep Joe Santangelo from winning that runoff and go on and win it herself. It will be very intriguing to see what happens in Epping this weekend. I've got one more contender, kind of similar to 
Slate Cummings in that Austin Williams was not really on the radar prior to you know doing that little thing he did this weekend, winning the U.S. Nationals. That helped. So Austin sitting at 540 points, which again, just five rounds behind the leader, through four national events, seven points meets. At his last divisional, he's only got one remaining. He's improving a first-round loss. Plenty of opportunity there. At his nationals, and he's got two remaining, improving a second-round loss. So again, Austin would have to win, probably go deep at both of those events, but the opportunity is there. He could put up a score deep into the 600s if he was able to to do well at both of those remaining races. Should be interesting to see how that plays out, Luke. Um, obviously, Epping's going to have a a big impact on it, and I want to see how that plays out. I I wasn't keeping up with points, but you're making me want to watch this weekend, this upcoming event. So I'm going to be paying very close attention to this stock finals or stock results around the country. But you've been sleeping on me. Don't sleep, don't sleep on me. Don't sleep on me. Don't sleep. It's your NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series National Points Chase Sleeper Picks. It's the NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Super Comp. I mean, look, they, they gotta be favored to win it all. It's the NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Points Chase Favorites to Win. Super Comp, Big Jed. I'm probably a little bit too close to this situation. I should probably hand this one off to you. But I know at the same time that no one has followed this closer than me. So I'll do my best to try to be objective. Yeah, I would never do this justice, Luke. <laughs> All right. Ray Ray Miller started off the year. That's that's Ray Miller the third. Started off the year absolutely on fire. Similar in some respects to what Craig Bourgeois did in Competition Eliminator. Ray Ray won the first three divisional events that he went to this season. Uh, also as a runner-up at a national. Since then, he's cooled slightly, had some motor issues, hasn't actually been to a ton of races. Currently sits at 582 points through five nationals and five divisionals. I would say that he is currently the favorite, although it's slight. I think there's four racers that have a legitimate shot at claiming this year's title. It's the National Championship Point Series Top Contenders. The contenders in Supercomp, I will list myself as a contender. I am currently in the lead, just six points ahead of Ray Ray. The issue is, on my end, that Ray Ray is improving better races and has more of them to improve. On the divisional side, um, he's got three events left at which to improve. He's improving a first-round loss and a second-round loss. In contrast, I have just two divisional events remaining, and I'm improving a second-round loss and a third-round loss. So one less event, and have to go one more round at each of them. Ray Ray also has one national event remaining where he's improving a third-round loss. I have two nationals left, but I don't have much room to improve. I'm improving a fifth-round loss, which at the remaining races would be a semifinal. So not much room for improvement there. Ray Ray's definitely got more races, more opportunity to improve, but the discrepancy there isn't huge. Right now, there are just six points separating us. The other contenders, a guy by the name of Gary Stinnett, you might have heard of him. He's only the greatest super comp racer in the history of super comp, four-time NHRA national champion. He's sitting a ways back right now. He is at 505 points, which is eight rounds behind, but he's got plenty of room to improve, and he is 
Gary Stinnett. To this point, Stinnett has two national events remaining to claim. He's improving a second round loss there. He's got three divisional events remaining where he could improve a first round loss and two more second round losses. So there is a ton of opportunity there for Gary Stinnett. On the flip side of that, there's not much margin for error. One more early loss at a divisional, he'd be forced to claim that. That would hurt his chances. But the opportunity for him to put up 650, again, 650, kind of the magic number, he's two wins away. Would it surprise anyone if Gary Stinnett won two of his last five races? The answer is no. Very much in contention. And probably the driver that, well, not even probably, Certainly on paper, the driver that has the best opportunity to win the Supercomp World Championship is Division Six racer Brian Presler. Presler from Washington State has a massive points total, 532 points, through just two nationals and six points meets. That means that the next time that he stages at a national event, he gets the full claim. So it's 30 points just to show up for first round. That puts him just two rounds out of the lead. He's got a great shot. He's got the one national account full, plus two more, or three more then, to try to improve a second round loss. Plus, his divisional score has been insane. I think he's been in three or four divisional finals, and he's still improving a third round loss with two races to do it there. So he could improve on the divisional side. Again, on paper, probably the best shot of anyone. But it just comes down to the logistics. Like, I don't know how realistic it is for Brian to make four more national events from Washington State. I would assume that he'll be in Vegas, he'll be in Pomona. That just doesn't give much margin for error. If he was to, to schedule a trip east and come to Gateway or Dallas, his chances go up because there's just there's just chances to lose a couple of times and get away with it. But again, I don't know how realistic that is. And to be in complete fairness... If you told me, Luke, you can win the world championship, you got to make not one but two trips to Washington? Yeah. I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a tough decision. That's a tough call, right? And it just depends on where you're at in life. I I don't know Brian at all. I don't know what his work situation is, his family situation is. Like, I don't know if that's realistic. On paper, he's absolutely not just got a chance. Like, he'd probably be the favorite. The only reason I don't have him as the favorite is I don't know logistically how realistic it is for him. But you've been sleeping on me. Don't sleep, don't sleep on me. Don't sleep on me. Don't sleep. It's your NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series National Points Chase Sleeper Picks. All right, similar to the situation in stock, Big Jed, I would honestly at this point, I would be really surprised if your Super Comp World Champion wasn't one of the four names that we just mentioned, kind of separated ourselves from the rest of the, of the crew. But there are two sleepers that jump out to me as much for the number of races that they have remaining as for the name recognition and just knowing what these two guys are capable of. There's Sherman Adcock Jr. and Tom Stalva. They're in similar positions. Sherman only been to four division races, so the next one that he goes to would count full. Sitting at 433 points, again, it would take a massive finish for him. It would probably take minimum two wins to get up into the mix. But again, would it surprise anyone if Sherman Adcock won? 
two of his last five races? The answer is no. Similar situation for Stalba. He's actually been to the minimum at this point. He's attended three national events and five divisional events, but he's got two wins and a number of early exits, first rounders, second rounders. If he were to catch fire, he could improve on all of those, particularly if he could improve on those with another win, maybe two more final rounds. He could absolutely be in the mix and has the races remaining to do it at facilities, Maple Grove, where he has dominated in the past. So it would not be a shock if Stahl made a run at the championship late. It's the NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, Super Gas. I mean, look, they, they gotta be favored to win it all. It's the NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series points chase, favorites to win. I would save the best for last because Super Gas is gonna be fun as hell. I have no idea, Jed, who's gonna win Super Gas. And I'll say this, I would be surprised if the Supergas world champion didn't have the lowest score of any of the sportsman classes. Like, it is wide open. No one's running away with it. Where I said 650 is usually the benchmark. If you have 650, you should win the world. I think Supergas is a race to 600. I think the first one to 600, if someone gets there, will win it. Similar to the year that Jacob Elrod won Supergas. I think he I think he had 612, which is the lowest points total. I know it's the lowest points total to win Supergas. It may be the lowest points total to win any sportsman category. This year is shaping up like that year. And inherently, when the totals are that low, you've literally got 20, 30 racers that could realistically reach that mark if they got hot. So this is one where I'm going to throw out a bunch of names and it wouldn't shock me at all if somebody that I don't mention ends up hoisting the Wally. It is completely wide open. But we'll start with the leader. And I guess who we'd have to classify as the favorite, it's Division One's Charlie Kanopic. Kanopic, current leader, 538 points. He's been to four nationals. He's been to six divisionals. So he's got two left to improve on both sides. Again, I don't think that he's going to put up a huge score. 600s within reach. I don't think he gets much beyond that. Where Charlie Kanopic has the, the most opportunity is on the national side of his points ledger. That's going to end up telling the tale. So far, his claims nationally are two second-round losses and a third-round loss. It has two uh, national events remaining, so he's already locked into claiming that third-round loss. If he could improve both of the second-round losses, again, preferably one of them being a final-round appearance, Got a pretty good shot. He's also got two divisionals remaining. On that side of the ledger, he's trying to improve a third-round loss. So really no guarantee that Charlie Kanopic improves at all, but also the possibility that he could tack on another 60, 80 points. If he does that, probably the world champion. For that reason, I think he's the favorite. It's the National Championship Point Series Top Contenders. Contenders and Super Gas, Chad, this is a laundry list, but you know where we got to start. Our man oh. has a shot. It's Jim Capiello, also known as Jim Rod Cap, also known as Jim Rod Cap. Jim yeah. Rod Cap could win the world championship, Chad. That would be huge. That would be fantastic. Jim Rod sitting at 495 points through the minimum to this point. Three nationals, five divisionals. He's improving a first-round loss on both sides of his ledger, has six races left at which he could improve. 
again, I think 600 wins, 600 very much in reach for Jim Rodcap, as is the case for all of these contenders that I'm going to list. Um, not huge points totals on any of these ledgers as of right now. Plenty of races left. Plenty of quote unquote junk to improve. It's just going to be a matter of, I think it's more about what happens in the next month and a half in Supergas than it has been about anything that's happened in the last six months. Other contenders, Craig Maddox, Nebraska runner, sent up 453 through four nationals, four divisionals. His next divisional counts full. Doesn't have a super strong national score, but again, lots of room for improvement and six races at which to gain points. We mentioned him in Supercomp. Tom Stalba in Supergas sitting at 452. Stalba through the minimum. Three nationals, five divisionals. He's got two first-rounders to improve on the divisional side. Again, the opportunity is there. If he was to get hot, could absolutely make a run at this championship. And we all know Tom Stalba capable of getting hot. Jeremy Mason, Division Three runner, 441 points in his next national counts full. The two nationals that he has claimed thus far are both second round losses. So plenty of opportunity for Mason to improve. His divisional score is pretty solid, but lots of opportunity for him to make a run nationally and geographically for division three racers. There are a lot of national event opportunities remaining. I would assume that Jeremy will be at Norwalk this week. I would assume that Jeremy will be at the sports nationals in Columbus. I would assume that Jeremy will be at the national event in St. Louis. He'll have to travel a little bit to get that fourth one. I would assume that that would be Charlotte, maybe Reading, but it's not like it's a logistical nightmare for him to make that move. And again, if he gets hot late finishes at two national events, he could be the favorite to win this thing. Let's talk about the sleepers because, Chad, this is where Supergas really gets interesting. But you've been sleeping on me. Don't sleep, don't sleep on me. Don't sleep on me. Don't sleep. Don't sleep. It's your NHRA and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series National Points Chase Sleeper Picks. Jed, I have no idea who's going to win the Supergas World Championship. <laughs> None. Nathan Vrooman just won Indy. It's an eight-round race. It's really rare in Super It's probably the only eight-round race of the season in which you get the opportunity to get 115 points. Nathan did just that. And when he won, I thought, you know, I was at Topeka. Nathan Vrooman won at Topeka. Wait a second. I think Nathan Vrooman won the national event in Chicago. That's three wins. Is that right? He's got to be the favorite to win the world. And so I pull up the points, and I scroll down, and I scroll down. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa I must have missed him. Scroll back up. He's won three races. I'm pretty sure he's won three races. I scroll down. I scroll down. Nathan Vrooman is way down the sheet. So I click on it. Sure enough, Nathan Vrooman has won three races. Let's see. Let me pull this up in real time because I think NHRA just updated the points while we were doing this. Scroll down, super gas. Charlie Canopic in the lead. Ray Sawyer, Jim Rod Cap. Jim Rod Cap. And I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling. Yeah, where is Nathan Vrooman? Where is Nathan Vrooman? Where is Nathan Vrooman? Okay, now I think I missed him. I legitimately think I missed him this time. Let's let's search. Do the old Control F. Vrooman. <laughs> okay, Nathan Vrooman just moved up to ninth. Okay, he was like seventieth when I looked at this. I got four hundred fifty-five points. He's only been to two national events. Nathan Vrooman has three wins. One of them being the eight rounder at Indy. Nathan Ruman also has the most bizarre points ledger that you will see because he's been to eight races to this point. He has the three wins. He also has four first-round losses. 
losses and a second round loss. It's all or nothing for Nathan Vrooman. If you let Nathan Vrooman get through round two, over. Done. <laughs> so Over. Over. Four national events remaining. Two points meets. At the two points meets, he's improving two first-round losses. That's the good side of that. Now, the bad side is he's already locked into claiming a first-round loss and a second-round loss. So he's won one points meet. He's won the two national events he's been to. He's won one points meet, lost first or second round at all the others. So he's going to claim some junk at the end of the year, but his good is real good. And the opportunity is there. Like If he was to win one more race, honestly, he's got six more events to go to. If he could lose third or fourth round at four of them, he's probably going to win the world. Like the opportunity is there. It's just a bizarre score. You usually don't see three wins, five first-round losses. And that's basically what you're at here. All or nothing. Vrooman's got a shot. And that would be a heck of a story. Another guy that's got a shot that would be probably a better story. We talked about him a little bit a couple episodes ago. Bo Butner. We actually talked about a little bit about him earlier this episode and how he's mm-hmm. got sportsman racing roots. No better sign of that than... The idea that Bo Butner bought a super gas car on the Western Swing, and he won the first time he sat in it at Sonoma. Now, since then, he's attended two more national events, one of which he runnered up in Brainerd, and he's attended one divisional event, which he also runnered up in Bowling Green. He has 324 points. He's only been to four events, four races, three final rounds. Now, He's got four divisionals, obviously, yet to count full. So by staging, if he lost first round at all four divisionals, he would get to 444 points, which currently would put him eighth in the world. He's got a legitimate opportunity to win the Supergas World Championship. The issue is, just plain and simple, as I mentioned earlier, there might be 10 divisional events left on the schedule. How many of them can he attend? And we know... Bo's racing operation, like, logistics aren't typically an issue. Like, he'll send that thing wherever it needs to go, and he'll get there. The issue is, he's also the one seed in the playoffs in a little class called Pro Stock. Okay, so Bo Butner's not going to miss a national event to run Pro Stock, to go to a division event to run Supergas. Not going to happen, right? So I actually did a little bit of homework here. This is where I went really nerdy and just looked at a calendar. The max, the most that he could get to that don't conflict with a national event at which pro stock is contested, four more divisionals. Now, you get to claim your best five out of eight. He'd make five. He would be able to throw away nothing. But it is my understanding that the plan is to make five. He can go to Earlville. That's this weekend. He can go to Gateway. That's the week after the national event. He could make a run to Great Bend. And he could run Vegas the week after the national event there. Most of those actually line up where it's fairly easy. The Great Bend one is a little bit out of the way. I'm pretty sure, like I said, my my math, my scheduling may not be awesome. But I think five divisionals is the max. I think that's all he can make. But the opportunity is there. And his score right now is so freaking strong. Five divisionals may be all it takes. He could make a run at this, and what a story would it be, Jed? How crazy would that be? Bo Butner is going into the the Meliella playoffs as the one seed in Pro Stock. He's a sleeper. He's a long shot. 
but he's got a legitimate chance to win the world championship in Supergas. And I don't know exactly how this falls out because, to be completely transparent, I don't even know how the points work in the factory stock showdown. But I know that coming into Indy, Bo was second. We've talked about just the rare occasion, Justin Lamb, Jeff Strickland, Scotty Richardson. They've won two national championships in one year. It's not out of the question for Bo Butner to win three. That's never been done. That's never even been flirted with. Now, I don't think it's likely. Bo may not win any of them, but there's a chance, and that would be cool. You want to make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb. Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam. You do the Kevin Brandon, lay the smack across the land. Then you do the L ride and you come out like the world champ. Great breakdown, Luke. Very interesting. Again, that's not something that I keep up with a whole lot, but I always look forward to your breakdown and and how you um, lay it out, what potentially could happen for whom. And it's got me uh, pretty interested to see how it plays out. So I'll be kind of watching after a little bit of all that as these events come up. So very well done by you, sir. That that wraps us up, though. That's, uh, That's about all we can handle and anybody else probably still listening that's probably all they can handle because that was uh, a lot of information so guys we're done this episode of the sportsman drag racing podcast is over i want to say thanks to our (laughs) great sponsor bte we appreciate all that they do for us down there great guys at bte use them every chance you get and uh luke you pretty much mentioned every racer in America at this point, but I'm sure you got some shouts remaining. Shouts first and foremost to the listener, because if you are still there, you either A, love this stuff as much as we do, or B, have absolutely nothing better to do. And either way, <laughs> bless your heart. Thank you for listening. Shouts, Big Jed, to the Maytag Repairman, to Frigidaire, to the Evaporator. Is that what you're looking for? The Evaporator? Evaporator fan, yes. The Evaporator fan. Shouts to that. Shouts to the back-to-school match race. RIP to the back-to-school match race. Shouts to whoever the, the, the man at GM is that signed off on that because that might have might been the end of his career. Shouts to WJ. Damn it, WJ. Shouts to the donkey stomp and, oh. and the sound effects that went along with it. That was epic. It was good stuff. Shouts to Frank Aragona, to Frank Aragona's buggy, to Austin Calhoun's buggy, to Peeps Pennington's buggy, to every buggy everywhere. Absolutely. Shouts to Jim Rod Cap and his buggy that might be the Super Gash World Champion, and Bo Butner and his buggy, and Bob Utner, and everybody else that I'm not thinking of. Shouts to you. Thank you for listening. I'm losing it. It's late. I can't believe you're still listening to this. It's probably morning wherever you are, but go to bed. You've had enough. You're drunk. Uh, shouts to reruns. Shouts to rerun from what's happening. And shouts to Mantrobius. Guys, be sure to yes. tell us what you think. Message us uh, right there on this Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Or you can at either Luke or myself right there on the Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. Love to hear from you. Tell us what you think. 
Thank you for tuning in to this very long episode of the podcast. And we can't wait to come back and talk to you again soon. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom ball before the 10. I'm rolling in the cutty switching feet like Jerry Pennington. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.